morning, if you will, uh, to Psalm 100. Uh, I quoted this Wednesday as we gathered as a church for our annual Thanksgiving meal. Uh, it's also a, a Psalm verse 3 of which uh, is, has been on this building as you enter the foyer there uh, since, it's, since it, we first moved in. Uh, so it really is a good reminder. It's funny, uh, sometimes you'll ask folks uh, what that verse is and uh, it makes me think we go through life looking down instead of up because we uh, very rarely, uh, every now and then you'll come across somebody who will remember that. But as you leave today, look back over your head and you'll see verse three uh, painted or printed upon the wall above your head there. Um, and that was for a reason. The motivation behind that is that Thanksgiving is, though we are reminded of it seasonally, uh, it is not to be a seasonal thing for the believer. Uh, gratitude, uh, in fact, I think of all things should mark uh, the life of a believer and it really is uh, sobering. I was thinking in this week in different messages or different routes to go with the morning message this morning and I couldn't help but thinking about the, uh, really the universal uh, or the scope of the gratitude of the Christian. First Thessalonians 5, 18, Paul says there, uh, give thanks in all things. All things. That's, that's a massive scope because there are a lot of things that can come into our life which would not immediately resonate with us as an occasion for gratitude. In fact, if we, if we struggled at all to feel gratitude in that moment, we would have to almost look past those things and to struggle to find some positive in the world or in our understanding of our faith to hold to in that moment to produce gratitude, but certainly not uh, easy to feel gratitude in all things. In fact, I think to do so is, is really an act of faith. In Romans 8, 28, uh, we have the assurance that God causes all things to work to, for good to those who, are, who love God and are called according to his purposes. You've heard me preach from that many times, but the good that he's working through the all things is your conformity to the image of Christ. That is the good of the believer, not his physical health, not his uh, financial situation, not his social status. Uh, his ultimate good is that he is transformed to the image of Christ. That is why he exists. And he, he will know his fullness and his greatest joy in confirmation to the image of Christ, which is to the glory of the Father. So it makes sense to me that in all things, therefore, I am to give thanks not, maybe not necessarily for the thing, even though I think if you really grasp this, the thing itself might be an occasion to give thanks. Lord, thank you for this thorn. Thank you for this calamity because it is used in your sovereign hand to produce in me Christ's likeness. So there is a way in which I can actually be thankful for the thing that is not on its surface something that I would normally be glad for. So it's universal, but it's also grounded in faith. But this struck me this week because we've read this passage in our Sunday evening study. It's been referred to a number of times and, and it's very frequently referred, referred to in this church. 
but in Romans 1.21, in, in regards to God's handing man over, as it were, to a reprobate mind, uh, was directly linked to them not honoring God as he was manifest in creation. In fact, it says of those men that they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And because of that, they were blinded to the display of God's divinity and his power in creation itself. But it says something striking there. Not only did he give them over because of that, that they did not honor him as God or glorify him as God, it goes on to say, and they were not thankful. An ungrateful people, ungrateful for the existence of God, blind to his glory all around them. They didn't honor him and glorify him as God, and, and it produced in them an ingratitude for which God gave them over to exercise and to reap, as it were, the consequences of their carnal desires and fleshliness. So, thanksgiving is a weighty matter. Gratitude in the Christian's life is a weighty thing. There is peril involved in an ungrateful spirit and in an ungrateful heart. I don't know that we think of it like that. We say things like, well, we ought to be more thankful. Or we run into difficult times and we think, and we think to ourselves, well, at least the Lord saved us and the suffering will be over one day so I can be thankful about that. But it is not a, a continual, overwhelming spirit of gratitude which is, which is deserving, which is God is certainly deserving of in us. And so when we, when we disregard it as not weighty, we flirt with the peril that it brings. An ungrateful heart is a dangerous thing. So I was thinking about those all week, but then as I was reading Psalm 100, I was struck by the, by the title here of this psalm, which is part of, the, part of the inspired word here. But it's a short five verses, but uh, you may even think that I've uh, over overanalyzed it this morning to some degree, but I was struck by all that's manifest here in regards to thanksgiving and gratitude. In fact, the title that the psalmist gave it was a psalm for thanksgiving. Uh, right off the bat, that struck me because he doesn't say a, a psalm of thanksgiving. And it just struck me that this is a psalm to be utilized or to be or to inform us in our thanksgiving. And we are in the season that we are being reminded of thanksgiving and we will gather this week and perhaps have family in and we'll think about all the reasons we have to be thankful and we'll stir, as it were, stir in our own hearts gratitude which we feel is appropriate for the season. And this psalm, it seems to me, is written by the psalmist for just such an occasion. Now, we can utilize it and actually sing it. It could, be me. it could be four in that way. In other words, you may gather around your table with family and friends and uh, this Thanksgiving, and you can pull this psalm out and sing it. Put it to music. We don't know what the music was, but make up your own. If you want to, arrange it to the tune of Amazing Grace so you can utilize it and sing the song for Thanksgiving or... And to me, this was much more meaningful to me, is use it 
to inform you in regards to thanksgiving. Let it be a model for how we feel gratitude and how we offer up our thanks this season. So let's read it together. And then I want to share a few thoughts on that this morning. It is, as he said, a psalm for thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Father, we thank you for this day, for this occasion that we are reminded by the season of thanksgiving and of gratitude. And Lord, we confess today and we acknowledge that we are not as grateful always and continually as we ought to be. We wake up some days and all of our day and most of our day is spent complaining about circumstances as they have unfolded and, and we are discouraged and distraught and preoccupied with fixing everything and trying to salvage a day. And Father, it seems to me from your word and from the reality of who you are and, and from, from my condition in general that I ought always to be grateful. Even in the worst of times, even in the most dreadful of days, there ought to be a spirit of gratitude. And I pray, Father, that by your spirit and by your word, you may illuminate that for us this morning as we approach uh, this Thanksgiving celebration ahead of us. And Lord, I pray that it'll be a season, it'll be a year of Thanksgiving, perhaps like no other, where it finally dawns upon us, it finally comes to rest upon us that Thanksgiving is not seasonal. It is to be the practice and the, and the ethos of the Christian continually. Father, I acknowledge this morning that I'm speaking in terms of the Christian's thanksgiving. There may be those in this room who do not know Christ and they may even feel some impulse to be thankful for the things in their lives, for good health, for prosperity, for jobs, for spouses, for families. And Father, my heart grieves that they cannot find the proper receptacle for that feeling of gratitude. They cannot find the proper object of it which is you. And Lord, I pray this morning that by your spirit, you may open their eyes and their hearts to this reality through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that they may come to know you and that they may know, come to know Christ and experience the new birth this very morning. So have your way, stir in our hearts this sort of gratitude we ask in Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, I thought about this psalm in terms of the giving of our thanks. In fact, I almost entitled it the ethos or the character of Christian thanksgiving. Uh, this, uh, these characteristics that I think are on display in this psalm ought to be characteristic of, a, of the thanksgiving of the Christian. Uh, I couldn't help but thinking this week as well, but uh, I noticed this, but the depth to which I feel gratitude is often related to the depth at which I understand my own unworthiness for any mercy. Uh, 
Some people don't like to dwell upon that, but I go frequently to Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and following. There is none good, no, not one. There is none righteous. They are, uh, they are, uh, uh, their mouth is full of deadness. There is, there is nothing worthy, nothing in us worthy of a receiving of mercy. And, and it helps me to magnify my gratitude by remembering my unworthiness for the slightest of mercies. In my fallenness, I deserve condemnation, immediate and eternal. And anything short of that is a mercy. And my heart magnifies gratitude in that, for that mercy the more I sense my unworthiness of it. So that's a kind of a groundwork. But this psalm, I think, gives us much to think about in regards to our thanksgiving. First of all, in verse 1, and I think it's manifest in this, but gratitude is to be felt. That's important. It's not just a theoretical or an intellectual assent that God ought to be thanked or that He is thankworthy. It is, it is to be felt. He says here, shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout. It's interesting, you know the definition, but I just took the time to look it up officially speaking. And it is this, to utter a loud call or cry, typically as an expression of a strong emotion. The psalmist is saying here, you want a song for Thanksgiving? Shout! Feel gratitude. That is huge to me. I, I know I ought to be grateful always. I contemplate the mercies of God and I think, Larry, there is no option for you but to feel gratitude in the worst of situations. But I want to feel the gratitude. I want the reality of those things to become personal experience and produce in me this attitude, this, this feeling of gratitude. It suggests as well a spontaneous eruption, this is one definition, of emotion in response to the object under consideration. Shout for joy, he says to the Lord. And to me, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with there is a deliberation certainly because we're reading this psalm praying that God would use it to stir our hearts. So there is a deliberation and he gets to that in a moment. But his opening line is to feel gratitude. Don't write it off as simply a duty to be performed. That's why I said gratitude is not seasonal. It's constant. It is something to be thought about and considered and strive for. I want to feel always grateful to the Lord God Almighty. I don't want it to be a seasonal occasion. I don't want to, I don't want to have to talk myself into feeling gratitude on every occasion. I want it more and more become a, a characteristic, an ethos that governs, that is prevalent in my life. I want to be grateful at all times. I knew a brother who had excruciating back pain years ago. He's passed on now, but... So much so that there were days when all that he could do all day was to lie flat in his living room. And his son would prepare food for him and bring it and pop his head up as much as he could bear. And he would suck soup from a straw. But he was in such excruciating pain. And never at any time when I went to visit that man, when I said, how are you, brother? 
And he said, he would say, and I think he meant it with all of his heart, joyful, brother, joyful. I have so much to be grateful for. And if I have to live the rest of my days flat on my back, I am, God, I am grateful to God for all that he has accomplished in my life. And I was always moved by that because there was no doubt in my heart that not only did he mean it theoretically and intellectually and as a mental assent that he ought to be grateful, but he was feeling gratitude in the midst of such a trying time in his life. Here's a psalm for thanksgiving. Feel the gratitude. Feel it. Notice as well, and this is part of the feeling, but in verse 1 as well, but it is to be a gratitude defining its object or directed towards the Lord. He says there, shout joyfully to the Lord. I thought in terms here even of the shout. A shout's loud, right? You ever see, go to the ball game? Uh, you go to the ball game and people don't, their team doesn't score a touchdown and they don't say, well, that was nice. It was great. Good thing my team scored. No, they're engaged. They are engaged and, they, and they, they have an object here and it is the victory of their team. And when finally they're running back, breaks through that line and crosses into the end zone and they score that touchdown, they jump to their feet and they erupt spontaneously with gratitude. Great, awesome, yeah, victory. It should be the same effect upon us. It's loud. It's spontaneous. But it is directed as well for the Christian to the Lord its object is the Lord. I wrote this. It is the Lord who is considered here. A contemplation of not only his mercies, but his person and all of his perfections. Some of which in this psalm are even indicated. But it is, it is, not, a, it is not an ambivalent, uh, just some random explosion of emotion. It's in the contemplation and consideration of the Lord himself. All his mercies, all that's listed here, and all that are revealed in the scriptures, and all that are experienced. It's the taking of the whole of the person of the Lord that produces in the heart of the believer this eruption and this spontaneous shouting. There's almost an unrestrained exuberance in this gratitude that we feel. Be thankful. Be thankful. And let that gratitude be directed to the Lord. I'm not suggesting here that we're not thankful for things. Thankful for provision. Thankful for loved ones in relationships. And I'm not even saying that I'm not thankful that God often uses means and instruments by which he is ministering into my life graces and mercies every single day. And I'm thankful for all of them. I'm thankful for you. But the ultimate object of my gratitude and the thing that stirs it most deeply is God himself. God himself. His glory. The beauty of his perfections. These are the things that the psalmist is saying. A psalm of thanksgiving. Direct those, that gratitude to God himself. Shout joyfully to the Lord. It's interesting as well that he mentions here all the earth. I was thinking to myself, it is by right God's deserve to be to be looked upon with great gratitude by everything. 
And I mean all the earth. I mean the created order. He may specifically mean here man created in the image of God, which alone is capable and has the capacity to honor him and to express gratitude in ways that honor him. But creation itself, it says, is groaning, waiting for the revelation of the redeemed, wherein the creation itself can rejoice. So it is his It is His by right that all that exists should be grateful to Him. That really struck me this week because ingratitude is to deprive God of what is justly His by virtue of who He is. That makes makes the peril of of Romans chapter 1 verse 21 all the more real. That's why He will hand them over who are ungrateful because in their ingratitude they are not acknowledging Him and not honoring Him and value Him properly for who He is. And the recompense of such a thing is to be turned over to the lust of our own flesh and to endure in our own bodies the results of that pursuit and satisfaction of that carnality. So it is perilous. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. How much more, by the way, should the Christian feel gratitude? How much more? Not only do we recognize through the Spirit's illumination the creation of the hand and the divine nature and power of God in creation. We look at the tides coming in and we, we are overwhelmed with the glory of God. And, and we, we have the blessing of seeing the glory of God in that way all around us. But more so through Christ we have the, obse- or the, uh, the availability now of coming into the very presence of that same God. How much more should the Christian's gratitude exceed the the gratitude of the world. By right, the world ought to be grateful to God for its existence. But by grace, so should the believer be even more so grateful to God. Because through Christ we have been brought into His presence. We have been brought into fellowship with Him. That God whose power is manifest in all of creation is not our judge again now in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is removed for us in Christ Jesus. We have been brought into fellowship with that very same God whom we ought to have feared in our state of condemnation. Now we have peace with God through Christ. How much more should I feel gratitude? Not just say I'm grateful, but feel it and the weightiness of it. In verse 1 as well, it talks about the characteristic of the shouting here. But he says here, a joyful shout. What is felt here in the contemplation of these things is joy. Joy. I've always, somebody can help me on this, but I've never understood exactly what this passage meant. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Does that mean my joy in the Lord has become strength for me or that the, the joy the Lord is rejoices in strengthening me? I'm not exactly sure. I can see applications both ways and it's difficult for me to determine the context. But I know this, underneath this reality and this contemplation is the provocation of real joy. So much so that it erupts in a shout I mean, that's more than just, oh, I, and I say this, I have an abiding joy that circumstances really don't affect too much, but it's a deep down abiding joy. The psalmist is saying, no, it ought to explode. 
It ought to manifest itself. It's not just some deep abiding thing. Yes, it is down there, but in the contemplation of the Lord who put it there, it rises up in us in all things and in all circumstances and and manifests itself in the proclamation of the glory of God in joy. So this is a joyful shout. Those people at the football stadium are not shouting with the same sort of joy. Jesus says to his disciples, here's something for you to hold fast to. My joy, I leave with you. Not like the world gives, I leave my joy with you. It is that spiritual, divine joy for the Christian that erupts in his praise, in his shout, in his feeling of this joy. Another one here in verse 1 as well. And I've touched on this already, but it is a gratitude that is universally proper. I say of of the earth, I say of men and of creation itself. Universal gratitude is proper and and the deserved response to the person and works of God. In verse 2, gratitude here is to be expressed in service to the Lord. Look what he says here. Serve the Lord with gladness. It's almost like, I thought this is about worship and thanksgiving. Well, that's part of, that is part of Thanksgiving. This is gratitude expressed in service. Amazing to think about that. It's not merely now a dutiful service, but a service characterized by gladness. That's the distinction in gratitude. His commands are not burdensome to us. The psalmist writes, I love thy law. I delight in thy law. To me, gratitude manifests itself as a gladness in serving, as a serving. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And we emulate the servants of Christ by being servants of God and servants of one another. But we don't do it as dutiful and burdensome. We rejoice to do it. We are, our, our gratitude is manifested gladness of service, glad service. Think of how many times you dutifully serve the Lord according to his word, completely devoid of gladness, of gladness, just dutifully performing and walking away from that, satisfied in your own conscience that you have been faithful to serve the Lord. It's almost an insult to that. In the context, and it applies in so many ways, but in the context of this and thinking about this week, I I had a conversation with a little fella and, and he was praying over his meal, and he bowed his head and silently prayed over his meal. And, and when he looked up, he informed me that I wasn't really praying. I just closed my eyes and was counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, until I thought it was an appropriate amount of time to justify a prayer. And, and when I got finished counting, I said, amen. And we wink at that, and it's cute. It's a little fella. He don't understand yet. But let me say something. Your great gratitudeless absence of the feeling of gratitude in your thanksgiving is no less offensive to your Father in heaven. I use the analogy. Suppose you gave me the most extraordinary gift ever. And you heard that I was making my way to you. And you sit and you wait there and you're anticipating, oh, how happy he's going to be. Oh, how I can't wait to see him. 
And finally, I work through everything and I finally come into your presence and I fall before you and I, and I look up to you and I start saying, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that's sufficient. And walk away. That's the way God, I think, hears prayers sometimes that are just words and no gratitude. The psalmist here says to us, serve the Lord with gladness gladness. So it is a gratitude expressed in glad service to the Lord. It is also a a gladness in verse 2 expressed in our coming to Him. Uh, Think about this. We are drawn towards Him in true gratitude to give Him thanks only to quickly depart from Him reeks of sincerity and of heartless lip service. That's essentially what the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 is all about. It's rendering lip service without true heartfelt gratitude. Gratitude expresses itself in our coming toward God, our being drawn to God. Let me think. Think about all that God has poured into your life. And I mean the mercies there. All of those mercies and the greatest mercy of all that he should send his son to die in your place so that you might have life and have it abundantly and forever. And contemplate all those wonderful and and great mercies and see if it does not draw you towards him. Or do you simply come to him once and say, thanks, I'm out of here. i got things to do. Gratitude draws us closer to the Father. We, we draw near to Him in the contemplation of His mercies and of His person and of His glory. We are, we are as Christians, we are attuned to, to receive of that and we long to be nearer to Him. It draws, He says, come before Him. He's exhorting us in this psalm of thanksgiving. Come to Him and then with joyful singing. It is to be a A gratitude of song. I like song in in opposition or set alongside the word shout because shouting has the ideal of exuberant, spontaneous reaction, uh, emotional response to the object considered. It just erupts. We almost can't control it. There's a gratitude that's overflowing and erupting. But a song, a song you got to think about. You've got to sit down and meditate and contemplate and put together in words what you're communicating in the song. And it has the unique capacity not only to use words, but to engage the emotions. A song is uniquely crafted to, with its music and with its lyrics to stir us emotionally. And he says, in gratitude, in thanksgiving, come before him with a song. And he qualifies it. With a joyful song. And you know what that tells me? It tells me Thanksgiving ought to involve our deliberate, deliberative consideration of all that God is and all that He is for us in Christ Jesus and every intricate mercy that we can name that He pours into our lives and let us harmonize that and compose that in such a way that we come before Him with words, joyful words of gratitude. That's Thanksgiving and how, how hollow it sounds to just recite a rote prayer with no feeling, with no singing, with no shouting, with no feeling coming to him. It is a gratitude of song. It is a gratitude as well, I think, of conviction. In verse 3, he says, 
in regards to this thanksgiving. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Some translations and says, uh, says that, and his we are. So this is not an uninformed, ignorant gratitude. It is a directed and, and real gratitude rooted in the reality, in truth. Know that he is God himself. I thought about that. He is the one before whom every knee will bow, from earthly kings to the poorest beggar, from uh, uh, principalities and heavenly powers. All knees, every knee shall bow before this this one. He is God. He himself is God. That's whom you're approaching. That's whom it's been made possible that you might draw near through the blood of Christ, through the veil that is of Christ Jesus. This is the God to whom you're appearing. And it is certainly no place to be counting unless you're counting your many blessings as the old hymn goes. But it's not the place to be rendering lip service. This is God that we are expressing our gratitude toward. In this one passage... In mentioning him as our creator, I noticed there was two, three things evident in that. Certainly there is our dependency, but as Lord, as our king, we are his people. He is our savior. He is our master. He is our people. And then he says, we are the sheep of his pasture, which means we are his sheep. So when I come before the Lord with thanksgiving, I'm contemplating my utter dependency and the dependency on the universe in which I live, this physical life, and my eternal destination are all dependent upon this one Lord. I'm thankful to many people in my life. I'm thankful that God has used them in manifold ways in my life. But none of them have that characteristic. None of them would, could say of themselves that He is Lord. He Himself is Lord. This Lord, this King stands above all others and is, is singularly deserving of all my heart's gratitude. All that He can provide for me to feel of this gratitude. He is my Creator and I am dependent upon Him. And so are you. We are his people there. He says he is our, I just said he is our king, but I mean more than that. I mean that through Christ, he has brought us into his family. We have, he has adopted us into his family. That is a special status for those whom he has called to himself. That's who, you're, that's who you're coming before. And there ought to be gratitude welling up in us through the contemplation of this reality. Yes, he is a creator, but, it, but we belong to him. We are his possessions. He has purchased us and all obedience and all submissiveness is due to him. Joyful, glad submission and service because he has purchased us. We are not our own. He may even have in mind this status as his children. We didn't make ourselves that. We are that by His sovereign grace and by His own works in Christ Jesus. And we ought to have gratitude for that. We can take no credit for that at all. And I love this last when it compares us to sheep. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. That makes Him our shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. I love that because it tells to me, speaks to me of provision, and I mean spiritual and and physical and material provisions. God is my caretaker. I am dependent upon Him to get through life. I had someone text me this week that's going through a terribly difficult time, and and they they had 
they'd come upon a discovery of something in the midst of their trying times and their trials. And they said to me, they said, I was, I was studying this morning and meditating upon the Word of God. And, and it dawned on me that we often speak of mountaintops and valleys as mountaintops positive, valleys negative. But it occurred to me this morning, there's no soil on the mountaintop. The, the soil slides off the mountain and settles down into the valleys. And if there's going to be growth, there has to be sowing done in the valley. And, and, so, and they were learning something that I'm in the valley right now, but rather than viewing this as a negative in anticipation of the next mountaintop, perhaps I should understand that this is the positive because here is where the seed is sown that bears fruit unto godliness. There's a revelation for you. There's an occasion for joy. There's an occasion for gratitude in all things and even for all things. There's a gratitude of conviction. Verse 4, there's a gratitude from grace. I say that because he uses the word enter here, and I'm certainly, he's speaking in terms of the temple, uh, the temple structure here, but enter his gates and enter his courts, he says. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And I call this a gratitude born from grace because ultimately in Christ, we truly enter in. They could enter into the temple, but there were places that they had no access to. There was a veil separating them from the holiest of holies. And, and to go past that veil, if you were not the assigned high priest for that year to offer sacrifices, was to bring one's life into peril. You would die in the presence of God in the holiest of holies, and they would drag you out and appoint another one to go in in your place who was assigned to go in that place. It was a dangerous thing to come into the presence of the Lord, but oh, what gratitude ought to be born in the heart of the believer for whom that veil has been torn from top to bottom. We enter into the holiest of holies by the very blood of Jesus Christ. We are coming boldly now to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. Oh, what gratitude that should be. We're not, we're not jumping through hoops and, and staying in sections according to our stations in life. Through Christ, all of us, Jew and Gentile, what male and female, all of us are coming through the blood of Christ into the presence of this God. Oh, what gratitude should pour from our hearts for that. Gratitude should be grounded and rooted in grace. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and brought us to God. So our gratitude and thanksgiving should be grounded and rooted and exalting of the grace of God by which we are brought into His presence. And finally, verse 5, and this is what I was really moved by this week. Thanksgiving ought to include a gratitude for the person of God, for his person. He mentions three things there, if you want to classify them that way. His goodness, his mercy, and his faithfulness or immutability, you may want to say, theologically. Here's a reason for gratitude, because God is good. God is good. He speaks here, I think, of the moral perfections of God. There is no ungoodness in God. He is by nature moral perfection. I say of people all the time, and you do as well, someone who's kind and generous and compassionate and, and, and helpful and, and accommodating and patient and all these character qualities. And somebody would say, have you ever met so-and-so? And I said, yeah, he's a good man. She's a good woman. 
But there's none good like this. There's none good like this. In fact, I think Jesus challenged the assumption of him being good on that level when the man come to him and says, good, good master, what might I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus challenges it. Why do you call me good? There's one good, but, and that's God. I don't think Jesus was denying that he wasn't God at that moment. I think he was addressing the issue that you are, your classification of good is misapplied to me. You, you've lowered good and made it relative to people's behavior. And you've, you've concluded from my behavior that I'm good in the same way. No, I'm not. I'm good. Perfectly good. Morally perfectly good. Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? I'm pretty sure the man wasn't confessing that he was God in the flesh. And Jesus was highlighting you have a low understanding of what good is. What's sitting before you is the manifestation of perfect moral good without any imperfections whatsoever. We ought to be grateful to that God. And we ought to be mindful, as I've said before, that is not a God to be trifled with. He does not buy into fake emotions. He doesn't buy into lip service without heart. He doesn't buy into to this false gratitude or this false worship he knows the condition of the heart he is good but secondly here he is merciful his loving kindness he says is everlasting mercy I was thinking about this this week does my mercy conclude when I get into the presence of God I'm not sure if this is the proper way to say it but I understand that the entirety of the experience of my eternity now with God will be a manifestation of the mercy of God purchased in Jesus Christ. It'll be, the, it'll be the infinite unfolding of the glories of God and my ability, my access to enjoy those and to, and to be what he has created and fashioned me to be to his own glory forever and ever and ever. And none of those things will come to me as a result of some worthiness in and of myself, but will always point to the worthiness of Christ in the flesh, Christ incarnate, God incarnate in Christ. And so in my sense, the joys of eternity awaiting you and I as believers are manifestations of the mercies of God, which are everlasting for us in that sense. We ought to feel gratitude for that. Feel gratitude for that. And then the last one, his faithfulness to all generations, not just to mine, but to all those uh, generations that he's bringing up and manifesting this as well. Faithfulness. Aren't you glad this morning? Aren't you grateful that God is faithful. I'm so glad that I don't have to worry next week about God changing. He's holy and he is that. He is this by his very nature. He is faithful to generation after generation after generation. My great, great, great grandparents don't have to think that I served a different God than they did. He didn't change. He was the God, the same God to them as he will be to a hundred generations from now. He changes not. In fact, he tells us that's the basis for Jacob not being destroyed. He commits to covenant relationship with his people. And though they are rebellious and reject him in many ways and resist him at every turn, he will not change. He will honor that covenant. He is faithful. And brother and sister, you and I are to explode with joy that he will not abandon his covenant in Christ. Because if that were possible, you and I would be lost by this afternoon. 
Because you and I will in our flesh will have violated every term of that covenant. But Christ fulfilled every term of that covenant for us. The righteous Christ in our place. This psalm struck me this morning simply because of the title. As I was reading this week. A psalm for thanksgiving. And I do take this as, a, as an outline and a form for what my thanksgiving should be like. Not only in its, in its expression but in its in its experience. And what I want most for us today as Christians is to feel gratitude. Feel it. That it would be an experience of ours. And not just this Thanksgiving and not just throughout this week, but it would be a, an ongoing, increasing reality in our lives no matter what the day may bring but that gratitude would be underneath all of that and it would express itself in many ways even with a shout a joyful shout unto the Lord so when I say happy thanksgiving to you as we go into this week I mean so much more than what's typically meant when we say things like that it's not a cordial happy greeting it is a heartfelt prayer that we might know the gratitude of thanksgiving. Stand with me this morning. Father, we do thank you. And Lord, our words utterly fail. And Father, I pray that every heart as my heart feels this gratitude. And Lord, as I've said, it's not, it's not something, just a feeling that we pursued or pursuit of some emotional stimulation but it is a it is grounded upon what is true and father we ask that by your spirit you would illuminate what's true in such a way that it would affect us entirely our reason our hearts our emotions our very souls and that when we offer our thanksgivings as we gather together this week that they would be heartfelt and they would be acceptable as forms as demonstrations of praise to you. Father, you speak to our hearts in the way that you would will and for your purposes and for your glory in these moments of invitation we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.